Coming up next, Real Israel Talk Radio, Program 21, Episode 63. Like Deuteronomy Dvorim, Chapter 32, Verses 9 and 10, he kept him as the apple of his eye. The Hebrew term for the phrase, the apple of his eye, in this passage is ki'ishon, like the little man in my eye. Hello, friends. This is Avi Ben Mordechai, and you are tuned in to the podcast of Real Israel Talk Radio. On the podcast today, we are going to continue with the uh, teaching and the topic on the two deaths of Yeshua. Yes, you heard right. The two deaths, plural, of Yeshua. And uh, we will continue where we left off from the last podcast. This is program number 10 and episode number 63 in the Real Israel Talk Radio teaching series. Now, on the last podcast, we were addressing these two deaths of Yeshua. We were talking about what this wrath of Yehovah is all about. We were discussing the idea that is presented in Luke chapter 22, verses 42 through 44, when Yeshua was praying in the garden and saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then the text goes on to tell us that he was in agony. He prayed quite earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Why was he praying in this way? What was the agony all about? And why was all of this happening? It's addressing the issue of Yeshua knowing that it was not just death number one, that is a physical material death that he was facing on the execution tree or the crucifixion Roman cross that he was attached to. That was the physical death. What I believe he was dealing with was the second death. He knew that his next stop was going to be taken into the courtroom of the lower world, which is called in Hebrew, Sheol, Sheol is the courtroom where the judgment would take place, and it's uh, idiomatically expressed as being in the hot seat because it's a hot courtroom. No air conditioning there. That's where you are asked questions as to making a defense for what it is that you did and why you chose to not receive the redemption testimony of Yeshua. It is the place where all those who have rejected the messianic claims of the Messiah, they will be taken there for an interrogation or what we might call a judgment or bench trial before the great judge of the universe. And then from there, without having the right advocate, 
namely Yeshua, the Messiah, the Mashiach, the judge has no other choice but to remand that soul unto the bailiff, so to speak, and to escort that soul into the place of the burning fires of Gehinom, referred to as the lake of fire, as it is taught in the book of Revelation chapter 20, verse 6, Revelation 20, verses 14 and 15, Revelation 2, verse 11, and many other places to discuss what that is all about. So that's pretty much the story as to what was going on. On the last podcast, we addressed Daniel 3, 21 through 27, referring to the metaphor of what happened with the three Jewish men from the exile of Yehuda or Judah in Jerusalem. When they were taken into exile under Nebuchadnezzar, they were brought into the kingdom of Babylon, and there they were given some pretty high positions. But when it came time to Nebuchadnezzar being pressured to sign into law a decree that anyone who would refuse to bow down and worship before this great idol, this great statue that uh, was uh, built by Nebuchadnezzar, if anyone refused to bow down to that statue after hearing all of the music, then they were to be destroyed and burned up. And we learned that these three men were cast into the burning fire. We might call that the iron furnace. And uh, it had been turned up pretty hot, but yet it did not burn them. It did not hurt them. And in fact, they did not even have the smell of fire on them. And uh, the reason was because they had their fire suits on. Let's just simply say that what they had on was the protection of the Ben Ha'Elohim, or the Son of God, as Nebuchadnezzar said when he asked his men in that narrative, how many of these guys did we throw in there? I saw three. And they said, yes, of course, we saw three. That's what we did. And he says, then, why do I see a fourth one in there? And he looks like the Ben Ha'Elohim that is the Son of God. Well, that's because there was a protection, and that was the fourth one who was in the fires, teaching us on that metaphor about a protection from those that will not worship the beast or worship the anti-Messiah or worship anything except to come to the allegiance of becoming one with Jehovah Elohim or one with Messiah. So that was that story there. And uh, then we continued on talking about 1 Thessalonians 5, chapter 8 through 10, when Shaul, or Paul, he wrote in verse 9 that God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our master, Yeshua HaMashiach, who died for us, that whether we wake or we sleep, we should live together with him. 
that we escape in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, which is the defining term of what it means to obtain salvation, to escape the wrath of the teaching from Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, where it says, in dying, you will die, from the Hebrew text, which tells us that we inherited from Adam a genetic DNA imprint or a genome from Adam that simply shows us that we inherited what Adam and Eve passed down to all of humanity, and we need to make a break from that tree of the knowledge of good but evil in order to walk away from that appointed wrath. And that is what it means to obtain salvation through the one who died for us and the one who resurrected for us, leading us into Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11, where the psalmist writes, For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, meaning you are not going to leave me there in that courtroom of the lower world in order to face a judgment and to be remanded unto the fires of the place called Gehinom, or the lake of fire. The psalmist goes on to write, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption, which we learned on the last program about the idea of perishing. Corruption and perishing means to be burned up and not have the blessing and the hope of a resurrection. Thus, he says, you will show me the path of life. In your face is the fullness of joy, and the path of life is that of the resurrection of the third day, which is why Yeshua deposited his spirit with the Almighty One, his neshama and his nephesh. They were deposited on account in the name of the Father, that is, Yehovah, so that when the resurrection took place, he would receive back that which he had received according to John chapter 1, verse 14, which says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, which is tied to Isaiah chapter 55 and verses 10 through 11, which says that the Word goes out of Jehovah's mouth and does not return in void. The implication is very clear that when Jehovah sent out his word, it went into Yeshua. He gave it to us at his resurrection, according to John chapter 20, verse 22, where it says that Yeshua breathed into his Talmudim, that is, he breathed life into them, resurrection life, which is exactly what we would expect to find from the passage based on Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, where it says that Jehovah breathed into the man and the man became a living nephesh or a living soul. <laughs> that ties in to exactly what Paul was saying 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where he talked about the second Adam, and that is what our inheritance is based on. I know there's a lot there that I've just presented to you, but it's all beautiful, and you should study it in that sequence that I've given you and have a very close look at it. Now, we were continuing also last time with that idea of the iron furnace, which is understood from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 20, where it says that Jehovah has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace out of Egypt. And uh, that was in order to be his people and inheritance, even as Moses says, as you are this day. So when they came to the mountain, that is Mount Sinai, and they received the whole promise of the word, and he took them to be his beloved bride in a way, and in taking us as a people at that moment, he said, now you are saved. But they walked away from it, many did, and Jehovah said, I am going to make a renewal of that contract again for a new generation, and that generation will know and understand from Jeremiah 11, 3-5, that a man is cursed if he does not obey the words of this covenant, which I commanded your fathers, as it says in the narrative, in the day I brought them out of the land of Egypt. And what does it mean to do according to all that I command you, as Jehovah says? So we will be his people and he will be our God, so that he may establish the oath which he had sworn to our fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey as it is this day. All of that is referring to the land above. It is the land in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 2, the land of the upper waters where the rivers are flowing, that is the rivers of living water. That is the land flowing with milk and honey. It's the land above. And when we go there and connect to that land, then we are going to come down with our Messiah, and we are going to connect to the land below. And we will then become one with Jerusalem below, but first and not before we become one with Jerusalem above. That's kind of the idea. And to obey his voice, simply we know. That is to repent and to receive his words, which is why Moses said in Exodus chapter 24, verse 7, when Moses took the book of the covenant at Mount Sinai and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said all that Jehovah has said, we will do and we will hear. And in Hebrew, that would be na'aseh vanishma, na'aseh vanishma, which is to listen to what he said in order to escape the wrath of the second death. 
And so then Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people. And he said, this is the blood of the covenant, which Jehovah has made with you in accordance with all these words. The words are, we will do and we will hear. That is, we will execute and express a trusting faith in you. And by that, we will be declared just or righteous. In Hebrew, the word is tzaddik. And that is the same blessing that was given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. It's the same blessing that was given to the prophets and all of the people of faith all through Hebrew scripture and all the way through the New Testament. So this is really that whole summary of getting removed from the second death and having eternal life in Yeshua's name. And then we looked at Judges chapter 13. This was the story of Shimshon or Samson in the next chapter, Judges 14. But his father and his mother, they were both declared just or righteous because of the event that is recorded for us in Judges 13 19 through 20. So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it upon the rock to Jehovah, and he did a wonder while Manoah and his wife looked on. That idea of a wonder, that is the Hebrew root pe lamed aleph. That is the term for a wonder, pe lamed aleph. It's the same word that shows up in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, which is verse 5 in Hebrew. And it says here in the English text of verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called And the first word is wonderful. That is, pei lamed aleph. Then the next word is counselor. Then el gibor, the mighty God. Then the everlasting father. And then the prince of peace. That is the sar hashalom, the prince of wholeness. And that's because he was able to purchase us from the ownership of the tree of the knowledge of good but evil, as Adam had sold all of us and basically threw all of humanity under the bus, so to speak. So Yeshua was the Sar HaShalom, that is the prince of the wholeness. And when Yeshua made that purchase with his own life, or if you will, his Leviticus 17.11 life blood, because it says in that text in Hebrew that the life, that is, the soul, is in the blood. So when Yeshua gave himself unto the fires of Gehinom, it fulfilled Psalm 103, verses 10 through 12, which says, as far as the east is from the west, He will cause the distance towards us 
acting upon all of our infidelity. It's kind of as the East is from the West. He will not remember our infidelity, which is our unfaithfulness, which is the Hebrew word, our Pesha. And that's because they get burned up in the Gehinom fires. So therefore, Yehovah says, I don't know what you're talking about. We say, well, I've got all this sin. And he says, what sin are you referring to? That's because it was burned up. He doesn't have any recollection of it, which ties into Isaiah 53, 8 through 10, when he goes down under into the courtroom of the lower world of Sheol. It says that he was cut off from the land of the living, which is why when Yeshua was hanging on that crucifixion execution tree, he quoted Psalm 22, 1, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, why have you forsaken me? Why have you put me at such a far, far distance from you? And that is because he was cut off from the land of the living in the suffering servant prophecy of Isaiah 53, 8 through 10. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. Our inherited sin nature that we received inheriting from Adam and Eve, that was put upon Yeshua and it was attached to him, fulfilling exactly what Paul said in Colossians 2, verse 14, that in totality he was stricken with our Pesha, that is our unfaithfulness, in the form of a decree, a debt of obligation, because you cannot possibly save yourself. That is an impossibility according to Jehovah's written word. Thus the text says, no violence he did and no fraud was in his mouth simply because the word, the word of Jehovah, has no fraud in it because it comes out of Jehovah's mouth and he is a God of truth. So it then says Jehovah desired to crush him to make Yeshua the one that takes our Avon and our Pesha, that is, our iniquity and our unfaithfulness, and to crush him with it. And he was caused to be the sickness. I'm uh, giving it to you the way I'm translating it and reading it in Hebrew. And he was caused to be the sickness. What sickness? The sickness that he did not have. Wow. The sickness he did not have. And he was made sick for us. Thus, the Colossians 2.14 decree that Paul says, that is the bond of obligation or the debt obligation that we inherited from Adam and Eve, that was therefore taken care of by our advocate, one who stands in our place, in legal Hebrew terminology, that is called the Shetarhov, the Shetarhov, or debt of obligation payment. Thus, Yeshua breathed his soul life into us. Again, according to John chapter 20, verse 22, which is why 
Paul wrote in Romans 6, 8 through 10. Now, if we died with Messiah, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Messiah, having been raised from out of the deaths, that's plural, being raised out of the deaths, dies no more because he went into the first death, that's physical, then he followed that with a descent into the second death, therefore death, the second death, the spiritual death, the reality death, not the shadow of the first, but the reality of the second, that no longer had dominion over Yeshua, and it no longer will have dominion over us. We will return and come back to deal with that subject. Again, Yeshua's third day resurrection. Stay with us. This is Avi Ben Mordechai, and this is Real Israel Talk Radio. You're listening to Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, Program 21, Episode 63. Welcome back to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. Once again, here's your host, Avi Ben Mordechai. And once again, welcome back to Real Israel Talk Radio. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai. Yeshua says in Luke 12, 4 through 5, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do, but I will show you whom you should fear. Yeshua then says, Fear him who after he has killed has power to cast into Gehinom, which gives us the Greek word for hell. I say to you, says Yeshua, fear him. And then it's closely duplicated in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, where it reads, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who was able to destroy both soul and body in Gehinom, again the word hell. It is therefore taught from Yehuda in the Brihadashah in the New Testament, Yehuda, or the book of Jude, chapter 1, verses 20 through 23, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, Praying in the Ruach HaKodesh, that is the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, because it's God's love that is given to us. Because while we were yet sinners, Messiah died for us. That is the love of God. Looking for the mercy of our Master, Yeshua HaMashiach, unto eternal life. And what is that mercy? That is, that he would die for us and resurrect for us also. And on some have compassion, making a separation or distinction. But with others, he says, save with fear. And how do we do that? By pulling them out of the fire. That is the second death, the fires of Gehinom. Pulling them out of the fire, 
hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. So, let us now continue and talk about Yeshua's third-day resurrection. This is the key that opens up the entire prophecy of fulfillment of our redemption story. That resurrection is by far one of the most important events that causes us to obtain salvation and to have victory over death. Not just one death, but both deaths. That is, the physical death and the spiritual death. If someone should reject the physical and spiritual death and resurrection of Yeshua, friends, I tell you, there is no hope for that person. They have denied the payment for which the Son of Yah has offered and given to them. If one should reject that resurrection, I tell you, it is as if one has not signed for the package upon delivery. It's to say, I don't want your package. Thank you very much. Take it back. Return to sender. That's pretty much what I see if one rejects the resurrection of Yeshua. So, we learn in Luke 9.22, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day, which again points us back to Hosea chapter 6, Come let us return to Jehovah. He will heal us. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. So this is a resurrection on the third day. So we're going to come up in Yeshua. He resurrected from the flames of Gehinom or the lake of fire. We also in him escape Gehinom and the flames of the fire of Gehinom. Yes, indeed, we escape that. That is the salvation from the wrath of Yah. And he will then take us into his bosom and he will lift us up out of that and bring us into his presence, which is the resurrection. Therefore, can Paul say in 1 Corinthians 15:50 that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption, keep in mind that term corruption, coming from Psalm 16, verses 10 through 11, and Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 30 through 32. I'm giving you these references, friends, so that you can go back and check out what I'm talking about. Therefore, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. It can't. And corruption cannot inherit incorruption. That's why Yeshua had to be saved from that corruption in Psalm 16, verses 10 through 11. He's saved from the corruption, and he inherits incorruption, and is returned back to what he originally had. So Paul says, Behold, I tell you a mystery, or mysterion in the Greek. We shall not all sleep, 
but we shall all be changed. Oh, yeah. In a moment, literally in a rega. You can see that idea of rega in Isaiah 26, verse 20, to enter into your rooms for a moment. And then Paul says the idea of the twinkling of an eye. That's the idea of like an ocean wave rolling quickly and then crashing onto the beach. So that's that twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet or at the last shofar. Then he says, for the shofar or the trumpet will sound and the deads will be raised incorruptible and we all shall be changed because every one of us are going to come up from that death. Whether you're alive or whether you're dead, when that shofar sounds, you're out of here. And that is the great resurrection. For then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 53, for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortality or this mortal must put on immortality, which is the reason why we need to be born from above. As Yeshua spoke to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verses 3 and 7, we must be born from above if we wish to have our corruptible nature turned into incorruption and be granted life eternal or immortality. And then when that happens and when the shofar of heaven sounds, then we're going to hear that voice calling to us saying, get up, whether we are alive or asleep. And we will then turn into immortality at that moment. And then Paul says it will be brought to pass at that moment. The saying that is written in Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8, death is swallowed up in victory. That's the first death. And then the second death is referenced by Paul from Genesis 2.17 and Hosea 13.14 when he says, O death, referring to the singular death. That is the second death. That is Elohim's demand for justice, which is thus fulfilled when corruption has put on incorruption which is at the great resurrection of the last day. Therefore, Gehinom has no more victory, exactly as Paul says in verse 56 of 1 Corinthians 15, the sting of death is sin. Well, indeed, so it is. And he says the strength or the power, the dynamite of sin is in the law. (laughs) What law is he talking about? It's not the Mosaic law of Mount Sinai. No, no, no. This is the law of sin and death. That is the Etzadato Virah, the tree of the knowledge of good but evil. It is the tree of sin, also called the tree of death, that loses its power over us 
It no longer has a grip on you or I because of what Yeshua did and the fact that we received it by faith. Nope, has no more power over us. So then Paul says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our master, Yeshua, Messiah. So he says, therefore, as a result of that, my beloved brethren, he calls for us to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the master, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the master. I think I would understand him to be saying to each of us, you and I included, do not give up. Don't walk away from this faith. Don't ditch it. Don't jump ship, so to speak. Stay the course. Stay with your faith. Don't let other people convince you that this is all a bunch of nonsense, that it's all a bunch of crazy talk and strange doctrine and idolatry and and whatever else you want to call it. Don't let people tell you that stuff. I don't care. They may have some great, tremendous, wonderful, exciting wisdom that they think they've got. They can just tell you, oh, you're just nuts. You're not nuts and don't believe them. Just because we can't see it doesn't mean it's not true. Or as it said, just because there's absence of evidence because you can't really see it, it does not mean there's evidence of absence. Okay? This stuff is real, and it's going to be viewed and understood and touched in reality the moment that resurrection happens, and we know it is going to happen, so pay attention to that. Therefore, continue to abound in the work of the Master. Keep going forward. Why? So that your labor is not a waste of time and energy and money and everything else. Keep going forward because it's being done for His name's sake. So that's the idea of the great resurrection that is coming. So again, we learn in Luke 9, 22, when Yeshua says, the Son of Man, the sick man, must suffer much and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. So then we learn in Exodus chapter 19, verses 10 through 13, Then Jehovah said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. This is the revelation of Mount Sinai and Jehovah appearing to all of the people and let all of them be ready towards or in Hebrew unto the third day. That is going to be a resurrection scenario because in or with the third day, as I'm translating and reading it from the Hebrew text, Jehovah will be moving or going up to my eye. Well, what is he referring to? Like Deuteronomy Dvalim, chapter 32, verses 9 and 10, he encircled him, he instructed him, he kept him as the apple 
of his eye, the Hebrew term for the phrase, the apple of his eye in this passage is ki'ishon. What is ki'ishon? It is from the root ish, which is the word for a man. And when you have the vav and nun ending or the suffix on that word, it kind of attenuates it like the little man in my eye or like the little man of my eye. Why would it say the little man of my eye? That is Mashiach Yeshua. He is the little man. He is the son of Yah. So Yehovah says in Exodus 19, 10 through 13, let them all be ready toward the third day. This is Yudhe Vavhe speaking that Yehovah, Yudhe Vavhe, will be going up or moving toward or to or into my eye, referring to the all-seeing eye of Messiah, Yeshua. So getting back to Exodus 19, the text says at the end of Exodus 19:13, I'm going to read it to you the way I'm reading it from the Hebrew. The Yovel is going to come and seize us, carry us, pull us out, draw us out. And then the text says from the Hebrew, all of them, those who had the faith and believed and received that testimony, they will ascend. That is, they will go up, that's what it says, into the mountain. They will go up into the mountain. That's what it says in the Hebrew. What's the Yovel? We know it to be the ram's horn, but we learn from Hebrew scripture that it's the jubilee ram's horn, which is a metaphor for the voice of Yehovah. And so it says that it's this Yovel that is going to come and seize us, carry us, pull us out, draw us out. The Yovel is going to do that according to the Hebrew of this passage. This is that voice. And we know that this is true because of John 5, 28 through 29. Yeshua says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out or come forth. Those who have done the good to the resurrection of life and those who have done the evil to the resurrection of condemnation or the judgment. That's the judgment of Sheol leading unto the lake of fire or Gehinom. So he says, those who hear his voice and have done the good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done the evil, they are going to have a Resurrection of condemnation, which according to Revelation chapter 20, verses 12 through 15, go read that section, that is at the end of 1,000 years. Whereas the first resurrection is just before the 1,000-year day of yud begins. 
So we learn that the Yovel of the first resurrection is going to call for us. The voice of Yehovah, the voice of Messiah will ring out and will call for us. And it will be the Jubilee Ram's Horn or the Yovel Ram's Horn. That's what it will sound like, which fits beautifully with what we just read in Exodus chapter 19, verses 10 through 12, where it says that Yehovah will be going up to my eye, the Messiah, he, the whole, the totality of the people, unto Mount Sinai. We're going up into the mountain. We're going up with Mashiach, with Messiah, because as he raised, we also raise, we go up with him. So what this does is it triggers Paul's mind to say these words in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 through 12. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Look at verse 10. Always carrying about in the body, in this physical body, you and I, the dying of the Master Yeshua. (laughs) We are. We're always going through the dying process like a plant, like an herb, like a leafy tree in the late fall going into winter. We lose our leaves. We are always dying in the Master Yeshua because of this flesh, folks. But then he says that the life of Yeshua may also be manifested in our body. That's the resurrection. That's the first resurrection. That's the early resurrection. Then verse 11, For we who live are always delivered to death for Yeshua's sake. It's like physical and spiritual. We're always going into a death of some sort, be it physical or be it even emotional or spiritual. We are for Yeshua's sake, because of what he did for us, that the life of Yeshua, because he raised on the third day, may that also be manifested in our mortal flesh. We are going to see resurrection. So when you go through a rough, difficult patch of life, you must know, my friend, you must know that there will be a resurrection, and it's not just the physical resurrection that happens as we enter the last day, the seventh day of Yehovah. No, no. You will see a great resurrection emotionally and spiritually. He will lift you up and he will lift you out of it. It will happen, but you have to let him do it. But if you say, no, 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 I just want to stay where I'm at. Let me just stay here and just lick my wounds in my little private corner. Let me be completely miserable for the next week or month or year or 10 years. I think he'll let you do it. I think he will, but you don't have to stay there because he pulls you out because there is a death and resurrection theme in Scripture. It's through Yeshua's death and resurrection. So it can be manifested in your mortal flesh. 
That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.12, so then death is working in us and also life in you. You have a death and a life. Both of them are working together in you. And you're going through it all the time, day in and day out. You're experiencing death and life all the time. This is so important to understand. Well, I'm very grateful for what Yeshua did for us. And so we are going up unto the mountain. There is that third day resurrection in Exodus chapter 19. So on the next podcast, we are going to continue with this resurrection scenario. And it plays a very, very important part in the Passover story. It's directly linked. So we'll talk about this. We'll tackle this on the next podcast. So I hope you'll join us then for our podcast program number 11 of this Yeshua and Salvation teaching series. Thanks for joining us today. Be blessed. Have a great week. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai. This is Real Israel Talk Radio. Praises to Yehovah.